The following podcast is intended for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should not be substituted for professional medical or psychological advice. Before beginning or changing a treatment plan, please consult your local healthcare professional. Let's roll. Let's roll. Here we are. Welcome back to another episode of Bio Psycho Socially Distant. I am always your friendly neighborhood nurse, Jordan. And I am your mostly friendly neighborhood therapist, Kayla. So a lot's happened since we last recorded. Um, Joe Biden is the president-elect. Hell yeah, he is. Hell yeah, he is. Kayla and I did the socially responsible thing and split a bottle of champagne on my back deck. Yes, we did. Of course we did. And it seemed like all of your neighbors were also celebrating. Oh, yeah. We, out, we're not sure. We we did sing Sweet Caroline with some people a couple houses down, whether they wanted to or not. Um, Kayla and I provided the bump bump bus. <laughs> yes. that, was a, that was a good night. Um, we're still in the middle of a national pandemic. The world is still on fire. Anything else to add? Mm, well... How do we focus on the good stuff like um, that we're seeing some good results from these vaccine trials? That's yes, 95% effective, 94 to 95% effective. So that's a pretty, that's pretty significant. You know, I still, I'm a nurse. I got to see the, I want to see the research of when course. everything comes out. Um, but it's, it's looking very, it's looking very favorable. And I deeply trust my community. I've always like yeah. I've always said that people say like how do we know that this vaccine is the real deal? I don't necessarily trust politicians or high-powered CEOs, but I trust my medical community. And speaking of Fauci said that he would take it and I trust, I trust Fauci. I do trust Fauci. <laughs> and I think one of the things that people don't realize too as I understand it, one of the reasons why the vaccine was developed so quickly is because the way that they usually produce them is they do the research, have it approved, and then produce the vaccine itself, which can take a long time. Mm -hmm. But this time it was being produced like, as they were produced as they were doing the testing, which is um, risky, of course, because if it doesn't work in the end, you've lost probably billions of dollars. But they apparently did really great work and um they're gonna be able to use what they've produced so that's i actually hadn't heard that thank you for telling me that but that's fantastic news and i'm really hopeful and i give my hats off to the scientists that have been working day in and day out and research people in research i've i have a special place in my heart for research i do a good a fair amount of it with my with the, the current field that I'm in and it is really helpful and it brings hope to a lot of people and we learn a lot from it and it's what we base everything that we do off of. I'm sure you would say the same. Absolutely. I'm hoping enough people will be willing to get it that herd immunity kicks in. I hope so too. And it's actually kind of interesting. This kind of goes right into what the topic that we're going to be doing today. Um, you did a listicle and I wanted to be trendy too. Okay. So <laughs> I I did um 
basically it's a list. I was going to do top 10, but I kind of ranted on a couple of these. So I did a top eight because I wanted to throw back to the MySpace era and do a top eight. Um, Aww, you were in my top eight. You were, you were forever in my top eight, Bubby. Um, yeah. So I wanted to do basically the top eight most common questions that I get asked and the most common misconceptions that people have. Mostly it's questions that I get asked. I do feel like that's an important part of my job, even when I'm not working, if people know that I'm a healthcare professional and say, I want to ask you this. I think it's really important to give good information, be a source to say, yeah, I'll totally talk to you about this for a second because people trust you and want to get the best possible information in a world where there's some really shitty information. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to compile a list of, and these are, this is all what I get asked very often. Um, nursing, healthcare, nursing especially is so vast. People have different expertise, different knowledge bases, work in different fields. So the question I, questions I get asked are probably different than another um, clinician. I, mm-hmm. I've spent the majority of my career, just as a background, I've spent the majority of my career in community health. Um, I worked in a hospital in the beginning of my career, as, as you do. You work nights on a floor for the first year most of the time, um, for a short period of time and, um, decided I wanted to do community-based nursing and I've done hospice, home care, um, outpatient infusion. So, um, the questions that I get asked are a little bit more community-based and a little bit more, less complicated, clinical, acutely ill stuff, more like maintaining your life. So this is kind of what I get asked and I'm not going to do the gross out questions that I get asked because I do get those as well, (laughs) but this is sort of the informational knowledge questions that I get asked. Oh, so you don't want to tell us what we really want to know about. (laughs) No, no, people really don't want to know the gross stuff. I've learned that. uh, I've learned that the hard way. I was actually at dinner once and somebody looked at me and went, you're a nurse. What's the grossest thing you've ever seen? And and everybody else just like seized up at the table, including my poor husband. Uh, I asked that to a nurse on a first date once. Did you really? I did. I was prepared for whatever answer he had. <laughs> I was going to say, because it was a really fucked up answer, whatever you got, I'm sure it was. Yes, it was. Because In fact, I don't know, he, he might have watered it down. I mean, it could have been not the worst thing he'd ever seen. I wouldn't water it down, I would just tell you. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say on the air, but I've seen some things. So let's get to it, shall uh, So this is, a lot of this information... Uh, is based on my own experience. I'll cite any useful information or anything that's, you know, a hard in fact. Well, it's all it's all factual, but anything mm-hmm. that um, I want to cite, I will do so. So let's get to it, shall we? Mm-hmm. Let's get to it. Number one question I get asked, and this it, these are in no particular order except for this one. This is the question that I get most frequently, and I think it's because of what I used to do for a living. What's it like when someone dies? Mm -hmm. That's my most common question. So like I said before, I was a hospice nurse um, for many, many years, as many years as you can be as a young person in healthcare. Um, We're universally very afraid of death, which makes good sense. Um, We spend most of our lives trying to avoid it. Alas, it is inevitable. And we only do it once. So it's, uh, it's something that's pretty easy for us to ignore. It's it's a viewpoint I I take into consideration when people say things like, "Hey, 
you shouldn't eat that kind of Parmesan cheese because it has wood shavings in it. And I'm like, listen, death is coming for all of us. Just let me eat the wood chip cheese. That's true. That's true. And people say, you know, I do X, Y, and Z. I exercise. I don't drink. I don't smoke. (laughs) Well, you might live longer and that's a good thing. We're still we're still food for worms eventually. Um, <laughs> death is a universal truth. And I've always said death is the great equalizer. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things I loved about hospice is it takes away the veiled bullshit in this world. So us as a society, especially in American culture, we ignore death. And especially as a modern culture, we ignore death. It's something that's going to happen, but we like to pretend that it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, because it causes us to, you know, reach inside of ourselves and realize this is going to be us one day and nobody wants to do that. Right. Even the uh, language that we use, we won't, we use euphemisms, right? Yeah. We'll say like passed away or is no longer with us instead of saying dead, died, deceased. I actually get a lot of flack for that because I don't use euphemisms. I say they died, they are dead. So when you die or you are going to die, people say that that's harsh. And I said, it is not harsh. It is, it is what is happening. You need, yeah. I mean, I, I try not to use it either with clients um, because it, you need to help them obviously confront the reality of that. Yeah. And it's not a bad word. You're not saying they kicked the bucket or they croaked. You're saying they're dead. They died. Um, right. In healthcare, they use the term expired, which I think is awful. I just, I like dead better. <laughs> the first time I, I remember um, my mom used to work at a, um, oh God, is convalescent home the PC term? I don't think it is. Um, um, sniff. Um, Subacute nursing facility. Yeah. Uh, extended uh, care facility. But go on. So she, that's when my sister and I, we were a lot younger and we had first discovered that the word expired is used. And I, we were like, is, are these people milk? Like, what? That's why I don't like it. I always say they're dead. They died. I don't like expired. She has expired. No, they're dead. And understand. So it's funny as much as we don't like to deal with death, there's so much pressure to have a good death. Right. And there's pressure to be there when somebody dies. Yes. Because because it's that it's the it's the obituary. They died peacefully, surrounded by their family and friends. I want I want you to make sure my obituary says she died um, in battle with an axe in her hand. <laughs> you know I'm the person to ask for that because you got it. Um, and I'm I'm not hoping to keep newspapers in business because actually obituaries are one of the only ways that newspapers make money. Yeah, um, that's true. And tag sale into uh, advertising. It's very true. So, so death is something that is happening to all of us. We're scared of, but we're pressured to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So people have a lot of questions. Uh, people, when they know somebody that is going to die in the near future, they sort of want to know what they're up against um, because a lot of people have, you know. Have no idea. Um, unfortunately, uh, TVs and movies are the bane of my existence when it comes to healthcare and giving people an accurate representation of what illness and death is really like. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always the dying person is always portrayed as you know giving a lovely soliloquy and then dramatically taking a breath, closing their eyes, and all that shit. Mm-hmm. That is not what happens. U- usually, usually, 
Um, so this is all in very general terms, um, regardless of diagnosis. So when somebody is terminally ill, when they have an illness that if left untreated is going to kill them, um, they more likely than not will slowly die. That being said, somebody who is dying can't, somebody who is dying of cancer can still have a heart attack and just die mm-hmm. instantly. That can still happen. That happens. Not as often. Usually it's a slow process. In the months leading up to death, um, people usually withdraw from the world. They interact less with other people. They don't, you know, if they were always a really social person, they don't necessarily want a house full of people. Um, Modern example, they post less on social media. That makes sense. I notice, I've noticed that. They are eating less, they're drinking less, they're moving their bodies less. So basically, the body slows down. Eventually, as that process continues, um, they'll primarily be in bed. They're sleeping more than they're awake. And even if they are awake, this is really common, they keep their eyes closed. Okay. Um, I, I say that deliberately and make a point of that because it's important to talk to people. Even if their eyes are closed, they might still have a full conversation with you with closed eyes. They just frankly don't have the energy to open them. Um, Senses are still intact. Like I said, even if somebody doesn't seem to be responding to you, you still respond to them. Still talk to people when they're dying. I think they can hear you. Sometimes they will respond. If nothing else, it's good for you. Eventually, this process will continue and the person will start to actively die, meaning they will start transitioning from a living person to a dead person. Mm -hmm. Um, That means they'll almost completely stop responding. Um, Sometimes when somebody new comes into the room that they haven't seen or a new voice or a new noise, they might arouse a little bit or wake up a little bit, but Mm -hmm. mostly they'll appear to be asleep. They will most likely stop eating and stop drinking. That is normal. The body can't necessarily process food and fluid. Mm -hmm. Um, So very little in, very little out. That is all normal. That's a really hard thing for people to. um, It's very, very normal to not eat or drink. Right. And it it kind of makes me think you're not really expending a lot of energy either if you're not, if you're bed bound. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, I do this every weekend because I'm lazy as hell on the weekends. But if you're not moving your body a lot, you really don't get hungry. Right. At least I don't. And it's, and it's hard for people because food is something very tangible you can do for somebody to show care. Right. And just show love. Mm -hmm. You know, you bring food, you feed somebody, Hey, I made your favorite dish. And it's really hard for somebody to realize that what they're doing is not needed. So when I was a hospice nurse, I would always talk about spiritual hunger versus um, physical hunger and say they have a spiritual hunger versus a physical hunger, the dying person. Mm. So their spiritual hunger can be filled by you sitting with them, you singing to them, you talking to them, you just being there, putting a nice warm blanket on them. There's plenty of ways that you can feed the soul of a person who's dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that way of looking at it. Me too, because you can tell I've had this conversation a couple of times. Um, Eventually, so what the body is going to do is shut down and eventually the heart and lungs are going to be powering the whole body, which they are not meant to do with very little fuel or energy because the body Mm -hmm. hasn't taken in anything for quite some time now. Um, so the, your blood doesn't pump as well. Your arms and legs, arms and legs will get cold and they'll model. Mm 
which is basically the skin turning a purplish or maroon color from the blood settling in. Uh, Basically, it'll settle into the bottom of the person. It's normal. The lungs work really hard as well uh, to try to supply oxygen to the body. So people primarily breathe through their mouths for the simple reason that being that it's a larger hole. Mm Mm-hmm. People take big, deep breaths with their mouths wide open, and they do that irregularly because that expends a lot of energy to try to take that big, deep breath. So they'll have what's called periods of apnea where they will stop breathing. They'll take a big, deep breath and then little breaths and then pause, and that's called chain stoke respirations. Okay. Um, So that's all normal. Um, the normal breaths that you take per minute are 12 to 20. Usually if you're taking more than 30 breaths a minute, your ribs and your stomach can start to get really sore. If anybody's ever had a cold or has been, or, you know, Mm. went for a sprint and they realize they've been breathing like crazy for a couple of minutes, they're not hurt. They're not feeling too good. Um, and now I am currently thinking about how many times I'm breathing and I've, I've come, become consciously aware of my breath. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> There's a lovely timer on the screen, Bubby. You can, <laughs> yeah, you, you, seriously. And when somebody doesn't take a breath for a minute, you, you're holding your breath with them. And sometimes the breaths that they take can be really, really loud. Um, mm. And sometimes people call it a death rattle, which I do hate that term. Um, I love that term. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like a really good, uh, it's a name for a punk rock band, the Death Rattle. I was going to say, it's, it sounds very metal. And, it, and and the reason for it being is sort of metal, and it's, so it's not painful to somebody who's dying if their respirations are really loud. So we all spray out secretions into this world, which is why we're all wearing masks right now. When I say secretions, I mean mucus. Um, so if you're not breathing, talking, coughing, those secretions are still being made and they're not getting cleared. So they're vibrating off mm-hmm. your vocal cords and making that loud mm-hmm. noise. Um, there's medications to dry it up. You can also put somebody into what's called postural drainage, which means you put a way onto their side and drain out the mucus. Mm-hmm. Um, grass. That's one of my favorite things to do just because it makes everybody feel better. Eventually, the respiration stop. I was going to say I use a neti pot for that. <laughs> nice. The, oh. <laughs> I, I did that once and I hated it. Eventually, the respiration stop. The body gets cold, almost waxy, and the person's dead. Usually, the moment that happens, it's really, really quiet. It's like time stands still. It's... um. Since I have seen birth and I have seen death, they look very, very, very similar. Mm-hmm. It's like this, mo- it's this inhale. It's, you know, you, you, everybody notices that it's happening and then either life begins or life ends. So mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't look like it does in the movies. It's still really, really beautiful when it's done well. It's something that you'll never forget being a part of. Um, but it's, it's a lot that our bodies are doing. It's pretty amazing. And that's why this is a top eight and not a top 10, because I talked for 20 minutes on death. <laughs> I could have talked for two more hours. That's actually did what I did my, um, that's what I did my uh, senior project on in school. I did it on hospice. Nice. Yeah. So for a study in contrast, so instead of going gentle into that good night, this next one is about raging against the dying of the light. People always want to know what CPR is like. Mm. 
It's another thing that's really poorly depicted in television. Mm-hmm. Is it? Oh, you're going to answer it. I'm, I'm going to wait no, for you. No, you're going to. No, ask me a question. I Like I said, I love it. I was going to say, is it um, comparable to the dummies that you practice on? Yes. Okay. It is comparable to the dummies that you practiced on. It practice on. It is really poorly depicted in television. My dear husband will pause the TV after CPR is shown just because he knows I'm going to complain for five minutes. Wait a minute. What about that episode of The Office where they... (laughs) That was one of the better ones because at least the CPR instructor was saying, okay, you didn't do this right. The patient died. You failed. Um, I always... I always sing, um, I always sing staying alive and I will survive when I find a CPR dummy too. I'm not going to lie to you. My favorite, one of my favorite Creed lines is in that episode where he goes, oh, I know where I recognize you from. I saw you in the parking lot. <laughs> Next time I do CPR class, I'm going to say that too. <laughs> so when you see CPR it, on a TV show, it's like a delicate tap on the chest and then you know, the person just wakes up and starts walking around, which would, <laughs> which would be which would be lovely, but it's not quite accurate. I would actually the the dummies are accurate, and I would recommend everybody taking a CPR class at least once in your life. You could really save someone's life mm-hmm. uh, because that's not something. Even if you just take it once, honestly, that's not something you forget. No, and even if you don't do it perfectly, like you. you like it doesn't have to be awesome. It just has to. It just has to exist. The key to mm-hmm. CPR is that it needs to be started immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other thing. People are like doing CPR on a person that died eight hours ago, and that's not going to work too good. Mm-mm. And you're not supposed to do it on someone who's like bleeding out either. <laughs> that might be that might be a big mess. And for adults, people are kind of, especially in the times of COVID, people are pretty skeeved out about putting their mouth on somebody mm-hmm. else's mouth, which. I, I, if it was to save someone's life, I would do it. Um, but with adults, especially, the most important thing are the chest compressions. Yeah. Um, because adults are more circulatory centered and also um, they're more likely to have had, you know, a heart attack or something cardiac going on. Kids, mm-hmm. on the other hand, are more respiratory driven. They're more likely to have choked on something, which is the right. reason why they are out. So, um giving support to their lungs is most important. Um, so this isn't a CPR class, but to, to do chest compressions correctly, you, you put one hand on top of the other, laced your fingers and you're with your palm, like the bottom of your hand, you're going to push to the lower part of the sternum going two inches deep. Yes. With your heel, the heel of your hand. Yeah. The bottom. Yeah. The heel of, I don't like the word. Yeah. The bottom, <laughs> the palm, the bottom where it meets your wrist. Um, and you do that at a rate of 100 to 200 compressions a minute. <laughs> Faster than that. And you have to get a recoil too. Um, and two inches is about the length of a domino. Okay. So look yeah. at your chest and think about a length, the depth of a domino. So you really have to push. You have to push and you're um you're gonna break ribs. Yep. It doesn't feel good. Um ribs breaking under your hand is not a good feeling. Although, folks, the Good Samaritan law in the United States will protect you from somebody suing you for breaking their ribs when you're trying to save their life. Nobody is going, no, nobody is going to, like I said, it is a bad uh, bad feeling. Um, it's making my hands itch because I've I've done it clearly. Um, so it's it's worth it. 
hands only, like I said, hands only CPR is, is adequate. So the goal is to start it as quick as you can and keep going until somebody else comes. If you see somebody in public that's doing CPR, go help them because you can't do it for that long. You hear stories about people doing CPR for an hour. They deserve a medal of some sort because it is not easy. That, and you should also make sure someone has contacted 911, cleared the scene, that kind of stuff. Yep. Usually the best thing to do is when you come upon a scene, if you're going to take charge of the situation, which is usually a healthcare worker, and God help us, it's usually a nurse, um, the best thing to do is tell somebody to call 911, make sure you verbalize that out loud. And oh my God, even if you think somebody has already called 911, just call them again. They'll just tell call, you. They'll call, yeah, they'll say, okay, we already have somebody on the scene. Perfect. Bottom line is really, is take a CPR class. It couldn't hurt. Mm-hmm. It's good to know in AEDs, defibrillators, putting those on, you know, learning how to put those on right. somebody's chest is a really good thing too. It's actually very, very useful. I've taken a few um, CPR first aid classes in my life and that every time I do, you know, it's good to have a refresher. It is. So like I said, it's not something you really forget. No, I have to take it every couple of years. It's pretty quick when I have to take it. It's with my, you know, it's usually you're taking it with your educator. You have to, it's nice workout for the day. (laughs) Yeah. It is really, it's painful. Well, it's painful for the person involved and it's, and it hurts to do it afterwards. Your arms really, you know, the times that I've done it in real life, it's really painful. It always, this always makes me think of how, so when I worked at camp, um, obviously we, we would have to take like CPR and first aid, I Mm -hmm. think every two years. And so they would teach us about all sorts of injuries that might possibly happen and, and how we can help. And, um, I would always tell the kids, like, if we were taking them, the older kids rock climbing or something like that, I'd be like, listen, if you fall and it's a compound fracture, I know how to fix it, but I'm not helping you. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So don't fall or don't climb. (laughs) I was always joking with them. Of course I would help. (laughs) Of course. You would cover it up and call 911. Yes, I would. I would throw a shirt over it. (laughs) A wet shirt. Throw a wet shirt over it. That's always the answer. I get this more often than not. Are ibuprofen and Tylenol the same thing? No. Yeah, no. Next question. Same thing. Um, they do similar things. They're two, they're two different classes of medication and two very different medications. Um, they both relieve pain. They both reduce fevers. Tylenol is a non-opioid pain medication, while ibuprofen is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Um, there are reasons that people cannot take either of these medications. NSAIDs or what ibuprofen is can thin your blood. And, and that is Advil, correct? Advil, yes. Ibuprofen, Advil, Aleve. They can be really rough on your stomach. Tylenol or acetaminophen is cleared through your liver. So somebody mm-hmm. with a compromised liver should use Tylenol sparingly. Actually, every there's a maximum amount of Tylenol. Uh, look on the label that you shouldn't take more right. than that in a day. Um, but no, they are not the same thing. And actually, a lot of people don't know that. If you tell somebody to take Tylenol, they say, I have ibuprofen. Is that okay? No, it's a different medicine. Um, that, that's also um, similar to the reason they had to stop calling it um, baby aspirin, because people were giving their babies aspirin. Oh, another one that's really interesting. Um, when they When diabetics learned how to give themselves insulin injections, they used to give them shots in oranges. They used to tell them to give a shot to an orange just to practice, you know, 
putting the needle in and Mm -hmm. injecting the orange. People were injecting their insulin into oranges and eating the orange. Oh. (laughs) Which which could sound ridiculous, but if the med, you know, if the medicine's getting into your body, why wouldn't, it's not how the medicines absorb through your subcutaneous tissue or your fatty tissue. It doesn't absorb through your GI tract, but people were injecting their insulin into oranges and eating oranges. Why wouldn't they? That's how they taught you an orange. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not ridiculous. It seems silly, but Everybody I mean, has a different knowledge as a different uh, knowledge base and a different uh, level of sensibility. That's how I give Clover her insulin. I put it in an orange. <laughs> Do you peel it for her? No, she does it herself. She's brilliant. She She's able to get it off in like one ring, you know, when people do that. It's like... That's always really impressive. And then she, and then Luna will make an old fashioned and express the orange oil onto the top of the old fashioned and then clean your cabinets with it. It's really amazing. How'd you know that? You, you showed me on zoom. All right. Oh yes. And I love sarcasm. We don't actually do any of that. (laughs) No, Clover gets insulin, but properly. (laughs) I have been on video chat when you were doing that to her a couple of times. She's very good about it. She is very good about it. My cats wouldn't be. I had to cut Hawkeye and Trapper's nails this morning. It's a miracle the cops didn't get called. Mm -hmm. So fact number five. I get this pretty often too. If you have a wound, you should let the air get at it. Mm -hmm. That was was the thing. Um, Up until the last 30 or 40 years, that was the thing. Let it breathe. The wound will heal on its own. Let the air get at it. Let it dry out. Sure, you know, a minor, you know, a cat scratch or a paper cut in a healthy person can heal fine without a dressing. Um, that being said, an open wound with nothing on it is at a higher risk of infection because it's exposed to more bacteria. And also, if it's a deep wound, your body is apt to put a scab over it to protect it. Scab is the body's own Band-Aid, but it doesn't fill in everything. Mm-hmm. you're basically your skin heals from the bottom up. It doesn't heal from the top down or from the sides down. So your the wound has to fill in first. The scab is just a protective layer. So you're basically letting the body heal on its own, which I guess is okay ish, but there are better ways to do it. Um, covering a wound in an occlusive dressing, keeping it covered and keeping it sealed which is a process called moist wound heal- healing. Um, apologies to people that hate the word. You, you know, what's interesting is that there's, um, I think there's a little bit of a debate in the tattoo community as to how you should let your tattoo heal, either dry or moist healing. Moist. I mean, that's what usually I, that's what I've been told by the mm-hmm. artists I've worked with. So I actually got a tattoo recently and they put an occlusive, the one on my wrist and I'm pointing to my mm-hmm. wrist, which you cannot see. They put an occlusive dressing, like a, like a film dressing, um, a clear plastic oh, dressing on it. Cool. And they said they went to a tattoo conference and that is actually the latest and greatest, which makes sense. Um, the reason, a couple of reasons they said they started doing is because people were non-compliant or not adherent to putting lotion on it and their tattoos were drying out. Um, so keeping the wound occluded, which a tattoo is a wound for three days, yeah. um, promoted healing and my tattoo healed great. And it was a little bit easier for me. Why would you not put lotion on your tattoo? It gets so itchy when it's 
healing. They probably trend. I don't know. People are ridiculous. Yeah. Here comes Clover. She wants her input. (laughs) Yeah, because she's got she has a koi fish. (laughs) She's got a dragon down her side. (laughs) Yes, she is the cat with a dragon tattoo. Uh, yeah, so keeping a wound covered promotes cell growth um, and it creates an environment where the wound can debride, which means removing the dead or rotting tissue. Um, I could do a whole TED Talk on wound care. There's lotions and potions and stuff that you can put into a wound to help eat the bad bacteria, one of them being honey, medical grade honey. Yeah, Manuka honey, right? Manuka honey, yep. It actually, yep, honey, it comes in a gel, it comes in a sheet, it comes in a gauze that has honey inside of it. The same thing with silver, too. Um, leaving the honey on, uh, the honey is a natural um, debreeder and it can eat the bad bacteria and leave the good bacteria alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, uh, not le- yes, maggots can do the same thing, too. Maggots are really good debreeders. Uh, they do actually use medical grade maggots maggots sometimes yeah just like um leeches yep well the leeches are to remove blood but maggots are to eat bat eat um dead skin next up do i have to finish the antibiotics if i feel better mostly people don't say this to me mostly they say i felt better so i stopped taking the antibiotics stop well yes and same thing with your um anti-anxiety antidepressant medication that is what's making you feel better correct stop taking it seriously that's why if people actually any sort of medication blood pressure medication why do i my blood pressure is better well because you're taking blood pressure medication all right so antibiotics which you should be only taking antibiotics if you have a bacterial infection that's what antibiotics are used to treat there are antivirals there are antifungals so say you have have not had an antibiotic in oh it's been a few years been two years and then before then probably like close to a decade you better knock on wood, girl. I haven't, honestly, God, I don't, I'm, nurses are awful. I don't take antibiotics for anything. So you, so you get an antibiotic and they give you a course of antibiotics. You take one pill twice a day for seven days. Well, after four or five days, the antibiotics in your system and you start to feel better. Do you have to keep taking them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Even though you feel better, there's still bacteria inside your body. If you stop, the bacteria can regrow older and wiser. Mm-hmm. Now it knows how to battle the antibiotics. Yes, it does. It has a better chance of knowing how to survive. Um, so that sucks. So now that same bacteria can't be killed by that same antibiotic. Right. And that's called actually a supra infection or super infection. Um, so we have MRSA, which um, are penicillin resistant buggies and there's also vre which is vancomycin resistant buggies vancomycin is a really 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 strong antibiotic and now there are bugs that are resistant to it great thanks everyone i hate it i hate it i hate it (laughs) well that's why i was saying like i don't not that i make the choice on whether or not i get antibiotics but i know that there are people who go to the doctor and request them and i have never done that because First of all, it's up to my doctor who knows a lot more than I do. Correct. But I'm not interested in contributing to the problem of like superbugs. Correct. And a lot of it, 
if a doctor is going to prescribe an antibiotic empirically, it's going to empirically meaning just because we know there's probably an infection going on, it's going to be somebody who's has a compromised immune system. So you really don't want to be antibi you really don't want to uh, be antibiotic resistant if you're immune compromised. So that's the time where you you probably need the antibiotic. <laughs> so do yourself a favor, take care of yourself, drink plenty of fluids use an antibiotic if you need it. If you need it, if you need it, if you can't fight it off. So the next one in that same vein, does the flu shot give you the flu? No. Yes, of course it does. I'm no. <laughs> I was actually going to say, I don't want to offend anti-vaxxers, but I do. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm okay with offending anti-vaxxers. I hear this a lot. And people that are saying this are not anti-vaxxers. They say, you know, they got the flu shot once and they got the flu. So first of all, you you can't get the flu from the flu shot. It is not a live virus. You are not getting injected with the virus. So ipso facto, you cannot get the flu because you weren't mm -hmm. given the virus. It's made from the previous season's flu virus. It's a protein. So a couple of things can happen, which is why you felt shitty after getting a flu shot. Your body's reaction can vary to the flu shot. I've noticed with myself and with my patients, some years the vaccine makes you feel really crappy. Some years you're fine. I've noticed that I have a skin reaction to the flu shot. If I get anything, I'll get like a red in arm or something. Mm -hmm. I had, um, after mine this year, I felt a little... Maybe like sore yeah. and like sluggish, but only for a day or two. And that's normal. Um, the reason that is, is um, because the body's immune system could be, you know, activated by the flu, uh, by the flu shot, because it is a foreign body in your body. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little, a little teeny bit traumatic. Little Not teeny like bit. hugely traumatic. Yeah. You could have got the people that have actually gotten the flu after the flu vaccine, they could have been infected with the flu before they got the flu shot or right. before the flu shot was working in their bodies. Also, the flu shot's about 50% effective, which isn't terrible uh, considering the flu is awful. Or they had a cold. <laughs> they didn't have the flu. Um, the cold and flu get confused with each other pretty often. Mm -hmm. um, the flu has a fever, a cold does not. Uh, the cold is uh, cold is a lot less intense than the flu, but you could still have a nasty cold and feel like shit. So you could have thought that you had the flu. The good news is I always tell people, they say like, you know, I'm going to get a flu shot, but it really made me feel lousy last year. Well, the formulation's different this year, so you might not right, feel exactly. so awful. I'm also pretty sure, because I remember when I was working as a pharmacy tech, some lady alleged that she got sick after the flu shot. And the pharmacist was basically like, well, number one, the, you're your pharmacist carries liability insurance. But number two, you absolutely sign off on a whole bunch of information about uh, the side effects of the flu yeah. shot and you te not testify, but you are verifying, I guess, that you were not sick in the last couple of weeks, mm -hmm. that you're not, you know, pregnant, nursing, that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I, I don't know what to say about that. Like <laughs> she, cause this, of course this lady came in all like um, fired up, firing yeah. yeah. And uh, thinking that she was going to like sue the pants off of the company. And I remember the pharmacist just being like, yeah, okay. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> and basically, and the recommendation is everybody gets the flu shot unless right. you've had a reaction to the flu shot. And I'm not talking about you, you, you know, you, your belly hurt or you, you know, felt a little tired for the past couple of days. The people that can't get the flu shot, 
either their throat closed up after getting the flu shot or they had something like Guillain-Barre, which is when your body slowly starts to get paralyzed, starting at your feet, working its way up, Um, which there is no treatment for, by the way. It's just supportive care until the paralysis goes away. Um, my auntie can't get it because she's allergic to eggs. Yeah, that can happen. Yeah, that can happen too. So it's really important to get the flu shot because you have to protect the people that absolutely don't get the flu shot. But I am uh, preaching to the choir because these are probably the group of people that'll wear mm-hmm. masks. And so my last and final is: Can you get a cold from the cold weather? Isn't it okay? I'm going to give you my hypothesis. What's your hypothesis? That it's more likely that the bacteria. No, it's a virus. The virus yep. that causes the cold is dead because it's so fucking cold out. No, but I like the enthusiasm. I actually take this one very personally because I never wear a coat and I have to hear hear well-meaning people tell me constantly yeah, I'm mm-hmm. going to get sick. Oh, zip that up, you'll catch cold. <laughs> Not to worry, grandmothers of the world. So the reason that people get sick in the wintertime is because they're in closer proximity, which is why we are seeing a resurgence in COVID right now. People are indoors, which encourages the spread of pathogen. And uh, supplemental heating is more commonly used, um, which is very drying, allowing the pathogens to hang out in the air and also dries out your mucous membranes, as Mm -hmm. we've talked about in the past, are your protectors. Or you're spending a lot of time around children who are germ factories. They are cute little Petri dishes. This is why I don't keep a child in my home. Yeah, I just keep cats. So yeah, so when I go and check the mail in the middle of January with no shoes or coat on, don't don't at me. Hell no. I'm not you're not gonna catch me outside if it's below fifty. Oh, I don't care. I don't I don't care. I don't care about the cold. It doesn't bother me. So those are the most common questions that I get asked. I Like I said, I do like answering them. I do like when people ask me questions. Um, if I go out in my scrubs, people come up and talk to me in the grocery store. I actually feel like that's a part of my job. I do too. And you, what you're saying just made me think of um, since I graduated from grad school, mm-hmm. Not necessarily after I got my license, could have been before, but like once I started practicing, I I noticed that people start to address me differently when asking questions. So rather than Mm -hmm. explaining something to me, like, oh, did you know that blah, 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 they'll they'll very tentatively ask me like, oh, is this, uh, I read such and such, is that true? Yeah. You know, or (laughs) like they're approaching me as an expert, I guess, rather than somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. I don't, I don't know. I I just thought it was an, an, well, I thought it was an interesting change in in attitude. Um, It could also be that the people I'm surrounding myself with now are a lot more respectful. (laughs) That's very, yeah, that is very true. Well, they look at you as sort of like a, a learned person that you're a person that, you know, knows their ass from their elbow, which we do on some stuff, you know, I, right. I'll, I'll tell people if I don't know the answer to something, I'll say, I, I don't know. Don't ask. Right. Me. I, and that's, uh, that's way better. I think to just be like, Hey, that's a really good question. I'm not quite sure. I'm not you know, quite than, sure. Then to pretend. <laughs> yeah. Just say if I rationalized it out, I think X, Y, and Z, right. but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I do like, and I'm sure you do too. I like being that person. If somebody wants to ask me something, I'll give you my best shot at it. I'll, if I know something, I'll tell you. Um, I think that's I, that's probably why I like community nursing so much and community healthcare so much. Because mm-hmm. I think people should feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
And we've, I think we've talked about this at length before, but I'm sure. Um, also why it makes us both of us rage when people um, spout things like they know what they're talking about when they actually don't. That does, that does drive me nuts. That does drive me nuts because you don't know what you're talking about and you could hurt somebody. Yes. I don't, that's the biggest thing is that you're spreading misinformation. Yeah. You're spreading misinformation that could, that could hurt somebody. And I think that's why that it's now more than ever important to, Trust in your local healthcare professionals, you know, not somebody on Facebook that, you know, you went to high school with and they barely passed geometry and now all of a sudden they're epidemiologists. Mm-hmm. Oh, Clover is rolling on her back and showing me her belly and it's super cute. Ah, because that means she loves her mama. She's trying to be cute, so I'll feed her an hour and a half early. And no. <laughs> You're very cute, but no. No. No, because then she'll want food even earlier tomorrow morning. Yep. Yep. That's not how that whole bit works, Clover. Sorry, baby. So what's your random question? Oh, it's actually not that random. Um, You gave me a recipe for your pumpkin bread, and it said either use one small egg or two, no, uh, two small eggs or one large egg. How many eggs do you use in your pumpkin bread? Um, I believe I only used use one because the, the pumpkin itself will make the bread really moist. So if you use two, it'll just be kind of slick. I was leaning toward one myself and that actually saved me from buying more eggs. Cause I was like, I was reading all the recipes and I said, Oh shit, I only have a dozen eggs. Um, but I was thinking only using one egg as well. So thank you. That was my random question. <laughs> I actually, so one of the like little uh, things I nice things that I do for myself every now and then is I'll have um, I'll order my groceries and pick them up. Yeah, I hate grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. Like, hate it, hate it, hate it. So this time, so you can't really obviously you can't really see what you're ordering. You can't pick it up and look at it or mm-hmm. anything like that. So you're just ordering online. And I accidentally added, or I accidentally purchased a dozen and a half eggs. Oh, <laughs> a family size hummus. Oh, and giant pretzels that like they came in a bag, but there are these enormous pretzels and I've been like cracking up at it, <laughs> but they were all on sale. That's why I added them. <laughs> that all sounds delicious. So it was a bargain. Well, the eggs, <laughs> the eggs you will use. Make yes, the, certainly for make, baking. Sure. Make the girls an egg. They'll love it. That's true. I could do that. Yeah. Eat the hummus with the pretzels, I guess. Well, yeah, that's why I get it. <laughs> yeah. Just these big hulking pretzels. <laughs> They're enormous, but they match with how big the hummus bowl is. So it's kind of funny. Oh, that kind of works. So you could pretend that you're like teeny tiny or something. You're Alice in Wonderland <laughs> eating these big giant pretzels. Yes. I'm just picturing the girls dressed up as the Cheshire Cat and you dressed up as Alice eating these. <laughs> Luna would absolutely be the, um, oh, what's the crazy one? The Mad Hatter. Oh, yeah. And who would Clover be? Clover would be the Cheshire Cat. Yeah, that's fair. Hawkeye would be the Red Queen. <laughs> and Trapper. Off with her head. Yeah. And Trapper would be the March Hare. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Now that we have a family-themed Halloween costume for next year. <laughs> so what are you going to do for self-care this weekend? Um. Well, I already started with lazing around, which is always my weekend self-care, and putting up my paper Christmas tree like I showed you. That was so cute. I um, love the paper Christmas tree. 
And I'm probably just going to tidy up a little bit, which I think is always good for the mind. My auntie also saw a picture of the paper tree and she said, that is unacceptable. (laughs) Whoa! Auntie, you (laughs) dial it back. She's like, oh, can you put something on the mantle and and Luna won't get it? I was like, I can't guarantee that. That's why I have a paper tree, everyone is... I have a paper tree because I have a kitten. I have a re- uh, a fake Christmas tree that I could put up, but I'm not risking it. No, and I have a six-year-old and 11-year-old cat. I don't put anything up because I really don't want to clean up pine needle cat vomit for the past next month. Thank you yep. very much. Also, I don't like Christmas that much. And also, I don't care. I like having my Christmas tree up if for no other reason than because it gives like a nice soft glow. That's true. It's just pretty. It is pretty. Um, and that's where I store my presents until I bring them to people. Oh, I put them in the basement. Um, I appreciate Christmas trees. I don't want one. Fair. I, I never even, li- I never liked it when I was little. Apparently it's in my baby book. I ripped it down when I was about 18 months old. <laughs> At least you weren't like drinking from the the thing on the bottom. No, no. Why did you? No, I feel like I probably would have because when I was little, I used to like pretend I was a dog and shit like that, but I don't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't have judged you if you did. I insisted we get a live Christmas tree one year that was planted in soil still because I didn't want to kill a tree. See, we had a, a tradition when I was little. We would go to a Christmas tree farm and yep. cut down our own tree. So we would trek like we would call it over the river and through the woods because really we would go like cross this wooden bridge uh-huh. oh, and then like through the Christmas tree farm and cut down a tree. And it was like, it was just a really nice tradition. And then we'd have hot cocoa at the end. That's really fun. Did Chris make like all kinds of dad jokes and stuff? Um, I'm pretty sure he made a bunch of Christmas vacation jokes. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. I was actually watching Christmas vacation. Um, no, I was watching European vacation today, which I do think is uh, the worst. Um, I love, I do love Christmas vacation. I like Where are Christmas- you going to put that tree, Clark? Bend over and I'll show you. <laughs> so was that what your father was saying to himself when he probably? <laughs> well, and that wraps up another lovely episode of Biopsychosocial. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at BiopsychPod or on Facebook at Biopsychosocial Podcast. Um, if you like what you heard, subscribe. Give us five stars to help us be visible. Yes. Or do neither of those things if you don't want to. It's up to you. Yeah, we don't care. (laughs) (laughs) We're just doing this for fun. We're doing this for fun. Thank you for our tens of viewers. And we'll see you again in another couple of weeks. Be kind to yourself. Go somewhere for Thanksgiving responsibly or stay home and listen to Alice's Restaurant. That's cool, too. Yes. And remember, everything's zero calories on Thanksgiving. Yes, I'll still work out, but that's okay. (laughs) All right. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.